said. Amen. Yeah. Thank you, Jesus. That's awesome. Thank you, guys. Thank you for leading us, worship team. Thank you so much for being here online and in person. We're blessed to have you. Well, those of you that are part of the youth group, if you can step back there with Miss Jennifer, she's going to take you to your class, and you guys have your message down there. It'll be a great time for you, I know. Thank you all for being in God's house today. I'm just going to have a word of prayer over y'all. If you would, just join with me for one moment. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come before you. Lord, we rebuke any unclean spirits, lying and deceiving spirits that would try and come amongst us. Lord, we've been singing about you, Holy Spirit, alone. And in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, we declare that this place allows only you to move in our hearts, our minds, with conviction, with empowerment, with whatever it is, Holy Spirit, that you see fit to do and that we need you to do. We want you to release yourself amongst us. And Lord, just beat down the enemy in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Man, I'm blessed to be with you. Thank you so much. You probably sat on one of these when you came in. The flyer for the blessing that is next Sunday. We will have our regular services at 9, 15, and 11. Did I say 9.30 in the first service? I don't know. They show up at 9.30. It's 9.15 and 11. That's when we have them. We'll have both those services at our regular times and then 4.30 to 7.30 is the blessing. So the reason we put those out is if you would take one of those with you and invite someone to come with you to the blessing of the bikers that are 18th year. Incredible opportunity for us to do what God's asked us to do in touching lives. It is truly a blessing to be a part of it. And I want to encourage you to come out. It is not uh, just for bikers. It is about the motorcycles and stuff. Not it's about Jesus, but I mean, it's about praying over those that ride those motorcycles. But truly, it's a blessing to all that would come. So please take advantage of being here. Come and meet people. Share Jesus with people because there's people that don't know him that will be all over the place. It's what it's all about. So thank you. We're also going to be doing a Jericho Tucson prayer right around uh, Tucson, October 28th. More information will follow about that. And we're doing a, a ride up to the village of Oak Creek for a prayer ride on November 10th and 11th. That's an overnight stay on that. And so if you please remember those things in your calendar and what you're doing. Did you spend at least five minutes a day, five days last week reading and listening to God's word? If you did, please say yes. You spend some time alone with God this week with no agenda, meaning that you're not just talking to God in prayer, telling him what he needs to do for you, but you're actually listening for what he wants to say to you. All right, good job. Do you know what the Holy Spirit is saying to you? If you did the first one, you should be able to say yes to the second one, right? The whole point was be quiet, shut up, listen, let God speak. So if you did, you know. All right, anyway, just trying to give you a bonus, easy question to answer. All right, are you giving as God has asked to give you your time, your talents, and your resources? All three of them. Yes. Did you share Jesus with someone this week? Yes. Did you invite someone to church with you today? Yes. God's amazing, isn't he? Yes. So blessed. He is so good. So, so good. Well, we want to go right into what God has for us to say today and what he is planning to speak into our lives. And I want you to know before I even start the message itself that I am 100% convinced that God wants to do something amazing in us and open up our, our minds, our hearts, and experience something from God that he desires for us because he wants to do something through us. And man, I really, truly believe this. God has anointed the songs that we sang today. It's about being obedient to the Holy Spirit, understanding your walk with him and what God is saying to you. And it's about revival, and that's a message for today. So I don't give... 
Trust me, those guys have no idea what I'm going to preach. The tech team doesn't even get my notes until Sunday morning around 6.30. Okay, so they don't know what I'm preaching. I don't know what the worship uh, team is doing. They're praying and they're picking their songs, but God always brings those things together to affirm his message. He's amazing. So I want you to know that the songs you've been singing, God was prepping you for his word. And now we have to hear what he is saying in his word to be able to receive that and actually fulfill everything God planned. I'm 100% convinced, I believe this, that God planned for our service. God planned for you to be here. God planned for the message to be delivered and God plans for us to respond. I believe that. If I didn't, I wouldn't be doing this. All right, so listen, here's something I want to share with you that we talked about last week. I'm not re-preaching something. I never do that. But God is bringing something to us, and it's a follow-up to what we were talking about, somewhat of an affirmation, but also an expansion of where God is taking us. So when we looked at that famous speech of Joshua, the leader of Israel, when they took the promised land, he's coming into his retirement years. And so he calls everybody together, says, hey, y'all, we got to come together. I want to have a meeting. And he gives this amazing speech that everybody knows one verse of, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Everybody knows that part. But there was a whole message around it. And it was a message of challenge to obedience. And as we looked at those verses last week, we're going to revisit just a portion of them. And again, I'm not re-preaching something, but obviously God wants to get something through to us. I told you last week, and you probably, if you've been around, you already know this, that um, God sometimes uses a two-by-four to nudge me because uh, sometimes I like run into the wall thinking I'm doing what he asks me to do. And he's been over here telling me, go over there. And I'm running into that brick wall over there like, let's do this, God, let's do this. And he's like, hey, hey, hey over here. Oh, yes, let's do this, God, you know, because that kind of way. So I think maybe the thing I didn't share with them is uh, after pastors been there at a church for a while, they say that the church is similar to his personality. So I'm thinking we got a bunch of headbangers in this room. (laughs) I don't know. I'm not trying to invite you into my craziness. I'm just saying, let's move on and see what God's word says, right? So here's the deal. Here is what he's doing. And God is speaking through Joshua. And uh, God bless you that are like not as hard to listen. Uh, So fear the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly. Put away forever the idols your ancestors worshipped when they lived beyond the Euphrates River in Egypt. Serve the Lord alone. But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. Would you prefer to serve the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates? Or will it be the, the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live? But as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. If you abandon the Lord and serve other gods, he will turn against you and destroy you, even though he has been so good to you. Man, God's been so good to us. But the people answered Joshua, no, we will serve the Lord. You are a witness to your own decision, Joshua said. You have chosen to serve the Lord. Yes, they replied, we are witnesses to what we have said. All right, then, Joshua said, destroy the idols among you and turn your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. So when we read these scriptures last week and we were talking about this, you see, like there was a decision to be made. And here was the decision. God God calls for this assembly in front of Joshua. Joshua says to the people, you know what God has done. You know that the only reason you are here is because of God's mercy, right? Everybody in this church, you do know that, right? 
You would not be here. I would not be here if it wasn't for the mercy of God. And God has done good things for me even when I didn't deserve it. When I wasn't even living for him, he did good things for me. I mean, if you're alive, it's because he's allowed you today. And I know as I look back in my life, there were many times that I could have lost my life and I didn't even get hurt and I didn't even care and I thought everything was fine. And I was just stupid, lost in my own world. I tell everybody, I don't have a a criminal record. I don't have a record in heaven either. Jesus has erased that. Thank you, God. But I don't have a criminal record here on earth. That doesn't mean I didn't deserve one. Okay, I just didn't get caught. That doesn't mean I was smarter than you. It just means that God was merciful and knew that I was messed up enough that if I hadn't down that road, bad things would have been. He's so good. And I'm looking at this and it's like, okay, so here's the word of God. This is the message. He says to the people, you know all that God's done. You know how good he is. You look back. Do you want to follow the old ways of living the things that screwed up your life in the first place, the things that have screwed up the generations before you, or do you want to serve the Lord? Oh, they're like, whew, I don't want any part of that old life. That sucked, man, I'm moving on. I'm going into the new life. I want God alone. He's like, okay, then you need to make changes. So how many of you went home and made some changes this week? See, like last week, see, that was the action. It's, it's easy to say amen. Remember, we were talking about this last Sunday. So easy to say amen in church. So be it. Yeah, I'm all in. God, only you. But then you got to go home and you actually got to do something. You got to destroy that stuff. Get it out of your life. The stuff that God's talking to you about. It's our obedience to him. And so I continue to move forward and saying like, okay, God, what is it you want? Well, we're going to look at two things that we brought out of that in that message that God challenged the people with and us with. And he was like, you have decisions to make. You have two things you got to do. You got to choose what your direction you're going to go in. And then you got to put action to that choice, right? Besides these two gentlemen over here agreeing with me, anybody else? I mean, I can walk over here and talk with them if you guys want. But, you know, you got to do this. This is God's word. All right. Hey, church, this is God's word. It's not Dave talking to you right now. This is God's word saying you're going to choose a direction and then you're going to have to put action to that choice. Now let's do it. All right. So let's continue forward. Let's looking at these two things and the role they play and the impact when we choose God's way and we act on God's word. Okay, because as we move forward in that, we're going to move up in the history, our past history, their future history as a nation. So here's Israel, this, this nation that God promised, and they followed him. And they began to live in the land of promise. And they were screwed up for a long time. They were like yo-yos in their walk with him. Yes, Lord, good things happen. Then they're like, God who? Life is good. Boom. Then they fall on their face, right? I mean, that's what happens throughout the book of Judges. Then you move into 1 Samuel And God is moving and stirring through this amazing man of God, Samuel. And he's leading the people in a national revival. They want a king. God gives them Saul. Saul gets all full of himself, falls on his face. God says, I've rejected you. I'm picking this little shepherd boy over here, David. Man, is God awesome. Nobody would have picked David. His own dad didn't invite him to dinner when the prophet was there. God's like, he's the man. Like, I want you to know you are worthy of God's call on your life, no matter what anybody else, including your parents, think of you. Man, he's awesome. 
All right, so let's check this out. David, of course, gets risen up by God and gives him this place, and he is the king of Israel. Israel becomes the world power of the day. They're a mighty nation. David had two bumps in the road on his journey with God where he made stupid decisions but repented. Thank God you can always repent of your stupid decisions, and God will forgive. Isn't he awesome? All right, now let's move on to this. They become a world power. King David's an amazing man of God, follower of the things of God, serving God faithfully, calling the people to serve God. He is a national hero. Okay, so he's sitting in his palace one day looking at everything that he has. Remember, he remembers being a shepherd boy. And he's sitting in the palace and he goes, here I am in a palace and there's God out there in that tent. They were still having the tabernacle that God had created with Moses back there as the house of God. And so David's like, ooh, I want to build God a house. I want to make him an amazing house. I'm living in a palace. He's in a tent. What is that? So David's like, I'm going to do this. He tells the prophet Nathan, I'm building God a house. He's like, do it, man. That's an awesome idea. God comes to the prophet, says, tell David no. I don't want him building me a house. He's a man of war. There's blood on his hands. He said, I'll have his son build the house. So David didn't get all mad and say, I want to build the house. You know how some of us get about stuff? We don't get to do what we want, even when it's for God. You can't do it, Dave. Okay. So what does he begin to do? He begins to store up riches for his son so he can build God this immaculate, amazing temple. And so when Solomon, his son, comes to the throne, he's got this storehouse of wealth to build this elaborate temple for God where the walls are overlaid with gold. Everything is phenomenal. It is a wonder of the world. God did this, and it was a testament to who he was. I'm telling you all this for a reason, church. You see, what happened was... As Israel became the world power, God blessed them. And in the days of Solomon, the word of God tells us that silver was like worthless. It was like stones in the street because there was so much wealth in Jerusalem and in the nation of Israel. No one was more wise than Solomon, nor will there ever be anyone because God blessed him with that wisdom and said so. No one was more wealthy than Solomon because God blessed him and said so. Incredible things were happening. Well, as Solomon is doing this in his life, and he was humble when he began, and he followed God, and he asked for wisdom, and that's why God blessed him. But as he got older and more wealth accumulated, his eyes began to look around him at the world, and he began to search after other things, including many women. And because he began to follow other women, he began to follow their gods instead of the God. He got lost in his own head. What was once a blessing became a curse. He lost his way. And as a direct result of his choices, the blessing of God would end. And as his son came to the throne, the Lord warned him and said, I'm going to split this nation, and that nation divided from being so soon a world power to being a crumbled shell of itself. The northern kingdom separated. That was the nation of Israel. Judah took the name for this nation in the southern kingdom, 
Israel would never serve God again as a nation. Never again serve God as a nation. And they fell. Judah, here they are, the shell of what they once were. Not a, no longer a world power, no longer a word or a voice. And as you follow their history in the Old Testament through the books of 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles and you watch this happen, they follow the pattern of what happened in the Judges where when someone would follow God, they followed God. God would bless and help and remove their oppression from them. They would walk in that victory, celebrate, get all full of themselves and fall on their face and forget about God again. Comfortable in their own life, they forget God exists and they would fall. They would have evil leaders that would lead them into sin, this king, this king. Then there would be a king that would turn its heart to God God would restore them. I mean, it's crazy when you look back at it. Now, as we look, and we're going into this specific place in history, as we look back in this time frame, what I want to do is I'm going to look at, um, now that we see Judah as a shell of what it once was, this specific king comes to the throne named King Ahaz. Now, he is in the direct lineage of King David. All the kings of Judah would be because the Messiah was coming through jo Judah and through David's lineage. God promised that. But here was King Ahaz, only 20 years old, and he becomes king of Judah. Now, he reigned approximately in the years of 735 to 720 B.C. If you know your history, you know that's the, the uh, time of the Assyrian Empire being the world power. During Ahaz's reign, he promoted... Sin, worship of idols, rejection of God. He even offered one of his own sons to the pagan god Moloch and burned it in fire. He was a heathen, ungodly leader of the nation. Now as this happened, see, the reason all these things came about was Ahaz was in this nation that was a shell of itself and he looked around and he saw the Assyrians were the world power Israel was coming against him in war. Syria was coming against him in war. He decided in himself that he would make an allegiance with Assyria, asking them to come and fight his war for him. Well, at this certain time, you know how faithful God is? God speaks to the prophet Isaiah. If you read your Old Testament, he's during this time. Isaiah comes to King Ahaz and says, Do not call on Assyria to help you. Turn your heart to the Lord God and he will fight for you. Repent and turn to him and he will be your God. Ahaz rejects the message. Had a choice to make and he chooses Assyria over God. The Assyrian leader, Tiglath-Pleser, I think is how you say his name, the third, comes, fights against Israel and defeats Israel and Syria and he does take all that wealth that Ahaz sent him and make an allegiance with him, but it comes at a heavy price. See, now Judah is under the umbrella of Assyria. A huge oppression takes place of crazy taxation. Inflation happens. It's dark. 
Ahaz is leading the people, and he's like, well, if Assyria is the power, and this is what's happening, I'm going to go there and pledge my allegiance to the leader. He goes to Assyria, says, I'm going to follow your ways. He sees his God's altar and all that. So what does he do? He sees that and says, well, if this is the God that's the power, I want that God. He's already rejected God. Now he comes back and sends a message to the high priest of the house of God that he's already locked the door of. Build me an altar like that one. And he promotes the worship of the Assyrian gods in the land of Judah. Well, remember I told you that he was 20 when he became king? He dies at 36. I don't know why anybody wanted to be the king. If you read some of those stories, it's like they reigned for like one year, one month, six. Somebody always wanted to kill you. You were going to die. I don't know why anybody wanted that position, but here it is. It's happening, and he dies at such a young age. And in the midst of his death, look, church, the, the nation was so oppressed and so overwhelmed, so dark and full of evil. When I read these things, I think about our own nation. I hope that you are. And I think of where we were to where we are. And I am not labeling any of the current leaders. I'm saying the leadership of our nation has not been following God for a long time. Don't care what party they've been affiliated with. It's not about God. It's about self. We have fallen away from God. We have turned our back on Him. And our nation is following other gods. We do not acknowledge the Lord. We have turned our backs on him, and that's why our nation is dark today. Now let's continue to read forward, because here's the thing. As you look at this hopeless environment that was happening in Judah, here's what's going to happen now. His son Hezekiah comes to the throne, and he is 25 years old. I want you to hear me, church, because a lot of people talk bad about the millennials. There's a lot of negative talk about the younger generation. I want you to hear this. God wants to move, and he is willing to move through anyone that's willing to be used. And we can label anybody we want to, and we can say whatever we want, but God has a plan for us, and if we will obey him, God will do amazing things through us. And here is King Hezekiah right here in the midst of all this. And he reigned from 715 to 686 BC. Now I want to read some stuff that's going to take place right here. And I hope that it blesses you, challenges you, and rocks your world. This is what it says. In the very first month of the first year of his reign, Hezekiah reopened the doors of the temple of the Lord and he repaired them. Do you see who did that? He did it. We're talking about the king. He didn't order somebody to do it. He went down and opened the doors. He's like, things are going to change around here, and it's going to start with me. So he opens the doors. He summoned the priests and the Levites to meet him at the courtyard of the east of the temple. Now look, did you hear what he said? He's inviting. That's how God is. I love it. You have a choice to make. He sent an invitation. He said, hey, come on over. Meet me in the oars east court of the temple. And he said to them, so now they're assembled, listen to me, you Levites, purify yourselves and purify the house of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the God of your ancestors, remove all the defiled things from the sanctuary. He's like, it's time to clean house all. 
time to get serious about this. It's time to get serious in your life. It's time to get serious in the house of God. It's time for a move of God to take place. Church, he didn't call the political leaders together. Did you hear that? When he took the office of the king of the nation, he knew it wasn't the Democrats or the Republicans that were going to save him. They were the problem. He said, we need God. We need God. And the only way we're going to ever have God is if we get God's house back together, the leadership back on track, everybody living the way they know they're supposed to live. And that's where he went. Man, God help us. He said to them, listen to me, you Levites, purify yourselves and purify the temple of the Lord, the God of your ancestors. Remove all the defiled things from the sanctuary. Our ancestors were unfaithful. And they did what was evil in the sight of the Lord our God. They abandoned the Lord and his dwelling place, and they turned their backs on him. They also shut the doors to the temple's entry room, and they snuffed out the lamps. They stopped burning incense and presenting burnt offerings at the sanctuary of the God of Israel. That is why the Lord's anger has fallen upon Judah and Jerusalem. He has made them an object of dread, horror, and ridicule, as you can see with your own eyes. Oh, man, just look around you. Because of this, our fathers have been killed in battle. Our sons and daughters and wives have been captured. Now, I will make a covenant with the Lord, the God of Israel, so that his fierce anger will turn away from us. My sons, do not neglect your duties any longer. The Lord has chosen you to stand in his presence, to minister to him, and to lead the people in worship and present offerings to him. Then the Levites got right to work. Hallelujah, man. If that doesn't excite you, nothing will. You hear that, church? He's, listen, there's, again, they're invited first, now they're challenged, and they're like, you already know you're neglecting your duties. You already know you haven't been doing what God asked you to do. He tells them that, right? He's like, stop neglecting your duties. Do it. Come on. You know what God said to you. You know your calling. You know you're supposed to live for him, to purify your own lives first, then the house of God. See, the house of God will get fixed when the people of God are fixed. People have a problem with the church. It's the people that is the problem of the church. It's not the church. Anyway... Levites got right to work. They're like, you're right, we'll own this. We got to do our job. And they went after it. And they began to worship God again. They cleaned up the place. They put it back in its proper order. They did the things that God asked them to do. Now I want to stop for a second and think about this. Remember, King Hezekiah growing up was growing up in a corrupt, dark society. Saw one of his own brothers be offered in fire. He knew the only answer for the nation's problems was God. Therefore, he's like, we got to change. I see the dark road we're on. Something needs to happen. And the only way it's going to happen is if God intervenes. Therefore, I'm turning to God. He knew his only hope was God. And so when he calls for the church leaders to start the movement, he's saying, hey, it's us. I'm in. Are you in? That's what he was saying, right? Now choose if they're going to do this or not. Do you hear that? It's the same thing Joshua said to the people. It's the same thing that's been going on for generations where God is saying, come on, 
Make the choice. Do it my way. I want to move. So getting the house in order, getting their own lives in order, getting the house in order, doing what God has called us to do required a decision. Am I going to do it? And then an action. I'm going to do it. (laughs) See, there has to be that action affirming the amen. Same thing. Similar message. Let's look at where we're going. I want to read something to you about King Hezekiah here in 2 Kings 18. This is like his epitaph on the, the tombstone. This is kind of like his life in a nutshell that's given to us. And it just blesses me. He's one of my heroes of the Old Testament. I love Hezekiah. Listen to what the Word of God says about him. He did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight, just as his ancestor David had done. Hear this. He did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight. See, not everybody else thought it was good. It wasn't pleasing to everybody else's sight, but he did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight, just as his ancestor David had done. He removed the pagan shrines, smashed the sacred pillars, cut down the Asherah poles. He broke up the bronze serpent that Moses had made because the people of Israel had been offering sacrifices to it, the bronze serpent that was called Nehushtan. All right, so look, I want to see this. I'm going to read two more verses, but I want us to see that Hezekiah didn't only call everybody else to do something. He has engaged himself. And he went out and he did destroyed these things that were an abomination to God. The very things that were calling people away from the Lord, God above. And he got rid of them. Church, you see, Hezekiah made a decision that he was going to be all in. He made a covenant with God and said, I'm yours. You're it. I know it. And I'm in. And he decided it wouldn't be his ways. It would be God's ways. And he committed his life to doing it God's way. And God had an opportunity to move. I'm going to read those next two verses to you now. This is still his avatar. Ready? Uh, Whatever I just said that was, this is what it is. Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. There was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, either before or after his time. He remained faithful to the Lord in everything. And he carefully obeyed all the commands the Lord had given Moses. You know, that's why he's my hero. Look at that dude. I mean, he's like, I'm in. I don't care what society looks like. I don't care what my father did. I don't care what you all are doing right now. I'm all God's. And it's going to happen God's way from here on out. Let's go. Who's with me? That's what he did. I mean, I love that. That's why he's my hero. I'm like, dude, this is an amazing guy. Now, I want you to see that the point of this message that God is calling us to is that God desires revival, not judgment. God wants to move. He doesn't want to stay away. And as we look at this, we see some things in the Bible and in history that can enlighten us and help us learn something. We can't cover all, you guys wouldn't want me to cover all the revivals of the Bible. We'd be here till the blessing next week as I talk about them. But I'm saying in the Old Testament, New Testament, there are revivals that happen in cities and in nations, not just Judah or Israel, but I'm talking about in pagan lands. You know the story of Jonah? I mean, Nineveh itself, the Assyrian capital, had a revival where they all turned to God. Okay, so I'm saying like things happen where God's doing stuff, man, and it's amazing. And God does this in the darkest of places. Hello. (laughs) 
There was revival under Elijah, remember? Like everybody had turned their back. Elijah thought he was the last servant of God in the whole land because Ahab and Jezebel were leading the people in pagan worship of Baal and Asherah. And he's like, hey, God, you might as well just take me out. I'm alone. He's like, you're not alone. Stop it. Let's go do something, right? All right. (laughs) Again, that's a paraphrased version of that. But anyway, he goes and he calls everybody to the mountain, remember? And the God who answers by fire is really God. And the people are like, yeah, that's cool. We're all in on that idea. So the prophets are over there yakking and cutting and calling. And and, uh, I love Elijah because he's over there mocking him. He's like, hey, maybe he's taking a nap or maybe he's on a hunting trip or maybe he's in the bathroom and he doesn't know you're calling. He he did all that. Read your Bible. I think the Bible's amazing. So it's like he's, he's saying that, taunting them. And they're doing this thing all day until they can't even hardly talk and they've cut themselves with swords praying for fire to come. It's not gonna come, they're no God. And Elijah just does that one simple prayer like, you're alone, God, you're it. They just poured water on this thing, you know. Hey, God, send the fire. There's the fire. Everybody in the place is like, the Lord, he is God, right? I mean, like all of us would do. I mean, it's like, it's a national revival that takes place. It's amazing. So I look at this and I'm like, man, there was a revival under King Josiah, just a little boy, a little boy that became king. I think he was like, yeah, he was between five and 10, somewhere in there. So he said eight, so I'll go with eight. He was just a boy and he became king and the priest helped to lead a national revival during his reign. Amazing stuff that God does. There was revival under Ezra, under Nehemiah, all these things. So New Testament revivals, right? The day of Pentecost. Jesus died, rose, resurrected, tells them, I'm sending the Holy Spirit, get ready, it's about to happen. The Jesus has been preached for a little over three, however many years John the Baptist did it too. It's coming on, Pentecost happens, the fire of God falls, the Spirit of God moves, 3,000 people are saved in one day, that's revival. 5,000 men are saved before you know it, and they don't even count them, women and children. The next time they do a count of the church, they're like, there's so many people, they're just getting saved every day, we don't have a number. That's what's happening in Acts. That's called revival where God's moving. If you read the book of Acts, you will find that the people of God are following the spirit of God's leading. They're not planning for a revival. Maybe I should say that to the church again. They didn't plan a revival. They followed the spirit of God and a revival happened. You can't plan revival. You have to walk in obedience to the Holy Spirit. And when you watch it happen and they were like lost in the midst of it all, a lot of times they were like, well, God's doing something over there. We probably should go check it out. And they go and check it out, right? I mean, seriously, if you read Acts, that's what's going on. God's moving. People are getting saved. People are becoming pastors of churches with no education. Because the Spirit of God's doing it. It's amazing. Anyway, I told you I gotta get carried away on this, but I won't. Let's just move into one thing here. So it happens in Pentecost, it happens in Samaria, pagan city, Caesarea, Antioch. I mean, revivals are breaking out because the Spirit of God is moving and people are moving in obedience. Read the book of Acts, exciting book. Paul formerly Saul, who saw the light on the road and gets saved, and he's all in, and he starts preaching Jesus everywhere. He does three missionary journeys. God's moving in a powerful way. One of those revivals we're going to visit for just a moment, and I mean just a moment, so don't get nervous. In Acts chapter 19, the story of what happened spread quickly through Ephesus to Jews and Greeks alike. So, I mean, 
I am trying to condense this so I didn't give you all the details, but I'm just letting you know God was doing amazing things. And so the stories are spreading. That's what happens. See, people get touched by God, and they tell people that God touched them. The story of what happened spread quickly throughout Ephesus, the two Jews and Greeks alike. A solemn fear descended on the city, and the name of the Lord Jesus was greatly honored. Man, we need a fresh visitation of the fear of God. Many who became believers confessed their sinful practices. A number of them brought, a number of them who had been practicing sorcery brought their incantation books and burned them in a public bonfire. Okay, before I read the next verse, church, listen. You see, like, when we come to God, we know life changes have to happen. Remember Joshua said, go home and get your idols, destroy them. Remember what King Hezekiah did? He went out and he destroyed those things that were against God. Here we see again, I think there might be a pattern here, that these people go to their homes, get the garbage that's there that has been against God, that they've been practicing that is not God's ways, and they bring it out into the streets, and they have a public bonfire. Listen to the next verse. The value of the books was several million dollars. <laughs> you know, I mean, seriously, we've preached, the, we've used these verses before to tell people, like, you got to clean your house. If you got garbage in your house that is spiritually dark or related to anything like that, you need to destroy it. And I've had people text me and say, I've got this family heirloom, and I like, I'm thinking, like, should I give it to, I'm like, destroy it. Do you really want to give them that? Seriously. See, there's a lot of people in the church who'd be like, man, we could have a book sale and make some money and uh, use that for the kingdom of God. Really? Burn that sucker, man. Stop messing around. This isn't about that stuff. It's about doing what God wants us to do, whatever it takes. Doesn't matter if it's $7 million in a burn and a fire. So be it. See, that's when God could move. Listen to the next verse after the bonfire. Listen. So the message about the Lord spread widely and had a powerful effect. Oh, God, how we need this today. Citywide, nationwide moves of God. People hear the word of God. They repent. They change their ways. They do something about it, and God can move. That's what we need. So as I look in the scriptures and study revivals of the past, and I love seeing the move of God happen, I've, because of what God did in my life, I was like, God, I want to I live in a moment where I see this happening in multitudes of people, where people are actually repenting, changing, and a move of God is happening. I've prayed for that since I was 19 years old. Let me be a part of something like that before I die. So let's listen to this. See, when I look back in the revivals of the Bible and I look on the two great awakenings and I call them, if you want to Google that later, if you haven't done it before, global revival, where around the world people are coming to God. Two great awakenings took place, where that took place, where there were actually global revivals where people turned to God. Now, in the study of these revivals, both biblically and historically, there are some things that we can learn and see in them. And I want to share those with you, and I want you to see it because of how important it is for you and I to hear and see this today. They occurred in times of moral darkness 
and national depression. That's the first thing. This is where revival takes place. Do you know why? Because we get to a point where we see things for what they are. And we're no longer lost in self, material things, or all the things the world offers. And we find ourselves in this place where it's pretty much hopeless. And we're in that place of moral darkness, the oppression that's there, national depression that's going on. It's like that is the environment that sets up revival, church. Each one of them began in the heart of a consecrated servant of God who became the energizing power behind it. Someone heard God, desired God, and began to live and preach God's word. All right, so it's got to be that we're doing what God asks us to do. And we've got to see past the darkness to the light and the power of God that God desires to break forth. Each revival rested on the word of God. And the most of them were the result of proclaiming God's word with power. The other ones that weren't were people in prayer, just so you know. What I'm saying is there's a definite connection with God and the word of God is in it. All right, let's look at something else. All resulted in a return to the worship of God, the creator, the God of the Bible. Every revival turned to that. Each witnessed the destruction of idols where they existed. See, every revival has to have us remove the gods we were serving so that we can serve the one true God. And it's happened throughout history. It's just there's a pattern to it. There's a reason because our heart is turning to him. In each revival, there was recorded separation from sin. Oh, I've got to change my life. I need to repent and turn to God. In every revival, the people return to obedience to God's ways. Oh, that's novel. There was a restoration of great joy and gladness in the people. Remember where it started? In the midst of darkness and depression. But there was a turn to obeying God's ways, and as a result, great joy and gladness broke out in the people. Because you see, our joy and our happiness is not in the stuff we have or what's happening in the world around us. It's what's happening inside of us. Here is where we experience joy. God's amazing. Each revival was followed by a period of, did you hear this? Listen, national prosperity without fail. See, when we turn to God, his desire is to bless us. It's natural. When you have kids and they do the right thing, you want to reward them. And you do. See, God wants to do that as well. He's not waiting with a stick to thump us. He's not a God that wants to judge or punish. He wants to bless and encourage and help. And so when I see these things, I'm thinking, man, we are ripe for revival. We're ripe for revival. We're in the exact environment we need to be. Our nation is dark. It's hopeless. It's under evil leadership on both sides of the party lines and anyone else involved in that mess. Church, it's Jesus only. So we are set up for it. And here's the thing, church. Please remember this. It starts in God's house. It's never going to start politically. It's got to start in the house of God. This is where it happens. So, I'm just going to throw this out there, okay? Because a lot of people like studying the end times, and that's great, fine. I'm not telling you not to. I'm not one of those that does that. Um, 
if you want my opinion, I'm saying like, God's going to do it. Revelations will make sense. And I'm going to be on his team. That's my explanation. Okay, now let's, let's, let's do this for a second. Yeah, but I, I do love the book. It's amazing. But let's talk about this for a second. See, I hear, obviously people are like that stuff. And I'm not telling you shouldn't like it or read it. Just please don't put a calendar to it and say you figured it out because you didn't. Uh, but anyway, all right, I need to stop. Let's get on to the point. All right, so there's so much bad stuff happening in the world around us today and so much darkness in our nation that people in the church are pretty convinced we're in, in the last days, right? And so I'll, here's my thing. I'm like, you know, why are we just going to throw up our hands and quit? Why are we just like, it's all over, man. Everything sucks. It's dark everywhere. I mean, Jesus, come back today. Let's end this. No. Why aren't we praying for a move of God? Why aren't we sharing Jesus? There's hope for revival. It doesn't mean that God's done yet. God's not done yet. God desires people to repent. It is his heart that they would. The reason he hasn't already come back is because he's gracious, patient, and long-suffering with us. And so he wants to save them. And so many of us in the church are just like, well, this and this equals this. It's all over. We're going to step back here and watch it happen. Let's get involved and see if God will turn this thing around by using us. See, I look back in those revivals. I'm like, man, we are ready for it. If there's ever been a day in my entire life, seriously, that a miracle is ready for an awakening, it's today. We are ripe for an awakening, a revival, a turning to God. Come on. Do you not see that? And it begins with us doing what we know God's calling us to do. I'm going to start re-preaching. I'll stop, I promise. Here's your action steps. My heart is heavy for this, man. It's a desire, and I feel like God is calling us, man. I do. I'm like... First action step, have you repented of your sins and received Jesus Christ as your Savior? Are you being obedient to the Holy Spirit and what you know He is calling you to do? And are you doing it? Church, that's the first thing. Would you stand with me? Because I got a couple more action steps and I want to make it easy for you to come to the altar if you need to. Don't worry about the people next to you. Step around them. Invite them with you. I don't care. Whatever we got to do, see, this is the moment of truth right here. This is like, God, we need you desperately. And it's like, here, let's just borrow from Ezekiah. He's like, you already know what you need to do, church. God's not asking you to do something you don't know. He's asking you to be obedient to what you know. So this isn't complicated. Are you or aren't you? If you aren't, get your butt down here and say, yes, I'm in. What actions have you taken in obedience to God's word and the Holy Spirit's conviction in your life right now? What actions are you doing? What's happening? Church, my last action step is without a move of God, judgment is coming. The end is going to be here for America, and we're going to see it. Unless there's a revival, we're going to see it. The fall of America is going to happen right around us. That doesn't mean it's the end, just the end of us. But man, we can change this. God can change this. God wants to use us. I mean, I don't believe he would have given me this message if he didn't desire this, if it wasn't a possibility. I mean, God's not just like throwing little mirages out there to make you feel happy today. 
God's like, I'm a God of change. I'm a God of power and I can do this. Just watch me. Please don't throw your hands up and just say it's the end. Let's get involved and let's see what God's going to do. Would you respond to him? Is he calling you? Will you lead people in worship and truth? Will you purify your own self? Will you do a church? You don't have to be at the altar to agree with that. The altar's open. You can stand if you can't kneel. That's fine. But would we all be all in on this? I mean, this is the invitation of God. Father, here we are. We're in that moment. Holy Spirit, move. Genuine repentance, brokenness over our sin. An awakening to the truth of what you've called us to live. And the power of the Holy Spirit igniting us and touching lives around us. Lord, people saved daily, not just on Sunday, but in everyday life, people coming to know you. God, we desire to see that, to be part of that. Have mercy, God. <laughs> Forgive us pastors that have watered down the gospel and try to make people comfortable. Forgive us, God. We have wronged you. Have your way, God. We are here. In Jesus' name, Lord, thank you. Thank you, God. Thank you all. Let's do it, church. He loves you. I love you. I do. And I'm so proud of all of you that are making the changes and stepping into the fullness of God. So proud of you. Keep after it. Be relentless in your pursuit of him. Let's see what God wants to do and experience it in our lives. <laughs> it's contagious. It is. God bless you. You're dismissed. Thank you so much for being here. God bless you guys at the altar. Thank you. But those of you standing, those of you online, God bless you. Thank you. Thank you, Lord.